Back in Iowa City, David Eichel, Sean Bach with you from HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, another edition of the Swarmcast. And Sean, I mean, where do we even start? I know we have a lot of questions from some of our subscribers that we're going to dive deep into uh, here shortly, but general takeaways from this game. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it was just about as poor of a performance, I think, as I've seen since I started working this beat back in August, 2018, I'm sure you'll say the same thing just as far as being underwhelmed and, and really all three phases outside, maybe what Charlie Jones is returning and, and Tory Taylor's punting. I mean, he had a great day punting, but everything else just seemed like low light after low light after low light. And I mean, for a while, I did think Iowa was going to get shut out until they put together that drive. Um, but Sean, I mean, wh- where do we even go from here? I mean, th- there's so many different things to discuss about w- what really happened in Mass. And um, underwhelming, I think, is the easiest word to put. Yeah, I tweeted something. I think it was in the second quarter where I said, everything that you could imagine going bad in this game for Iowa has gone bad. And about five minutes later after that tweet, Max Cooper muffed that punt, which set up another Wisconsin score. And that kind of seemed to be the story of the game for this Iowa team. You thought maybe there was a little bit of life in the third quarter when Iowa put together that scoring drive with the Peters QB sneak. But, you know, after I think it was their next possession, that confidence kind of just went away. And that confidence in this team, or at least the confidence I felt when Iowa was down to Penn State, you never really got that in the last two games against Purdue and Wisconsin. You always felt yeah. like this Iowa team had some had some sort of fight in them, some sort of – I don't want to say fight because they definitely had fight in them, but there just didn't seem to be a lot of life or any like reason to be optimistic about the rest of the game and how things could go, um, especially against Wisconsin. Wisconsin's known for that. Brian Ferentz talked about it a couple weeks ago that you never want to be down in the game to Wisconsin, especially early in the game because it is yeah. so hard to come back. And that that proved to be a point on Saturday. That was exactly what Brian was talking about, and that's exactly what happened. And you know, Iowa just couldn't couldn't get back into it. And you know, the thing was too, Sean. I think there's a couple of things that stood out to me when Graham Mertz caught fire on that drive. You thought it was gonna be a long day for Iowa because I thought they already had enough a difficult time matching up as far as stopping the run. And Braylon Allen lived up to the hype. Ches Malusi, I thought was great. I thought Wisconsin's offensive line was good. But, you know, the reality, too, is, I mean, like we've said kind of all year, I think we talked about in our season preview prediction, we talked about in our preview pod, Graham Mertz has the talent to be a really, really good quarterback. And it's going to take him a while to get back to, you know, his ways and taking that step forward. But, Sean, he, he had a clean pocket all day. I mean, I think Michael Hogan of our Wisconsin site said that that was by far the best pass blocking that they've had all season. I mean, Iowa just had zero pressure on him. And I think you need to give Mertz and Wisconsin a lot of credit. I think Jamari Harris held his own, but they targeted him early and often. I think five of the first eight passes were targeted toward Harris. Um, and that that's a rough spot for him. And I think, you know, he's got some experience, but that, that's a rough spot for him. But, you know, Sean, I think we we'll, we have plenty of questions. I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll dive into plenty of discussion. I know everybody wants to talk about Brian Ferentz. And, you know, for, for a good reason, I think that there's giving you know, there are some really good, difficult questions asked in this last press conference, but I'll, I'll say it too. And I mean, Sean, you know, this, I mean, you talk to coaches, you talk to recruits all the time. You can ask the question, you can't force them to give them an answer. And the other flip side of that is what answer from Kirk would have sufficed when we asked him about Brian, what, what's he going to say in a press conference? Oh, we're going to make the change immediately. We're going to fire him. That's not realistic. That that would never happen under any circumstance, even if Brian wasn't his son. Like it, it, it was just, it's just, I don't know, you know, and I'm not blaming the people for wanting the answers. We have to ask the questions, but the other reality too of it is I want to talk about this for a quick second. We'll dive into questions. People talk about how they would phrase questions to these people and these athletes. But I mean, Sean, you learn in journalism 101, you can add on this if you want if you come out aggressive in an interview and you make something so blunt, they're going to be guarded the rest of the interview, or they're just going to absolutely shortchange everything that you say. And it affects it going forward. You can ask hard questions, but you can't be like, why haven't you made a change? Why haven't you fired this person? What's going on? It's because they're going to be on guard and they're just going to think you're, 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 they're looking 
they're going to believe that you're trying to put them in a gotcha question mode is basically what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I thought Kirk's answer was fair. I mean, I know it's not the answer that people wanted, but he said we got to find ways to boost the offense. And, you know, that's what I was going to do. And, you know, you hit on the head when you said, yeah, we're going to – he's not going to say, yeah, we're going to fire him right here. Yeah, like the offense – like he basically said the offense needs work. And that's what everyone's thinking. That's what the game plan is going to be. You're not going to fire a guy midway through the season. And, you know, I think people need to get that – or midway through the game. I know I've seen the tweets on uh, well, I'm in social the media. Locker room. <laughs> yeah, or like, hey, like, hey, uh, Spencer, like Brian saying, like, hey, Spencer, make sure the bus doesn't leave without me. I know I'm the I'm the coach's son, by the way. Um, so I thought I thought that was pretty funny, but no, it's it's a sensitive topic. It's like everything in life. Like you don't ask a person, like, hey, are you gonna get laid off from your job soon? But when it comes to sports, like I get it, like it's more out in the public and it's a lot more passion than some other things. But that's just one of those things that you can't really say. Like you could say, like, how do you improve the offense or how like what needs to be done? Like those are fair questions. But, you know, when people are saying is like is Brian's job in jeopardy, like people want it at like people want the media ask Kirk that question. It's like. There's no way you're going to get it's, an it's answer not the for that. Time. Yeah. It's like, that's an end of the season question. I think, because again, the group still believes, I mean, they can still win double digit games this year, Sean, in all reality, like they have goals in front of them that they can still hit. But I, here's where I'll sympathize with the public. And I think that they have every right to be upset about. I think you're right. As far as Kirk's answers were fair to some degree, but he was asked directly about Brian and he turned it into, I have full confidence in every one of our staff members that we're going to get this together. And the other thing I think people are frustrated by is it was a bye week. You come out looking like that. You have 17 yards, three turnovers, all three of which, by the way, were in the opposing red zone. So Iowa's 25 point streak was snapped. The defense still played okay. Like they got put in a couple of really, really tough positions. And I think that they did, you know, about as much as they could. I mean, including one, I think was at the one yard line, which was the botched handoff. But I think where people get frustrated was when Kirk said, we're still learning. We're learning more about our players each game. We're learning more about this. We're learning more about that. And it's like, you're, you're eight games into the season, including through a bye week you've had spring, you've had fall. You have a veteran staff, like you have a lot of veteran guys. Like you have to know, you have to know your players by now. You have to make the adjustments, and there was no adjustments being made um, for the game plan for Wisconsin. We'll dive into questions. I think you and I can just go back and forth a bunch of stuff, and I think we will. Um, first question: the impact of not having Riley Moss, and then I'll get into the second part of that. I mean, it, Sean, it's a big deal but it's far from the issues of what's going on right now with Iowa that, that in short. Yeah, I think, I mean, Iowa definitely misses Riley Moss. I mean, the team's leading interception or interception guy, uh, however, <laughs> interceptor, or however you want to put it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's the problem. I, I think Jamar Harris, yeah, he had some faults, but I thought he did a fairly good job. I think most people would agree with me on that. Mm-hmm. I thought Matt Hankins did a pretty good job. I think he had, I think he was responsible for three receptions and they weren't over 10 yards or they were very close to under 10 yards. But yeah, I think it, it, you just look at this defensive line and, you know, I think they really exceeded our expectations early on in the season with getting the pass rush on. And I talked about in my three takeaways article that I write after every game that the pass rush is partly responsible for force or is responsible for getting pressure on the quarterback. And that plays in a role with the interceptions, because when you have less time to make a decision or when you have less time to, you know, read your receivers, you, you, you jump, like you get worried and, you know, you panic. And that's when oftentimes quarterbacks are making the most mistakes. The very good ones are able to get out of those situations, but you know, Graham Mertz, yeah, he can move a little bit, but he's not a guy, as we've seen this year, that when the pocket is collapsing, he's gonna he's prone to make mistakes, even when there's yeah. a clean pocket. Absolutely. But some of the some of the um some of the plays that he had when he stepped back in the pocket, he he had all day. It was looking like a like a guy standing at the line of scrimmage in a flag football game counting one Mississippi, two Mississippi, <laughs> like 
I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking on the defensive line. I just think that was just, they had three quarterback pressures and they didn't touch. Graham Mertz wasn't touched by the Iowa defense. The Iowa defense had no quarterback hits on Saturday, no. according to pro football focus. And that in itself is just very concerning. And with some guys out in the secondary that like, I mean, Jamari Harris, I thought he did a really good job, but at that point, like if you're the defensive backs, I know this team, you know, trust each other and, you know, neat, like, believes in each other but at that point you're kind of just like guys like come on like let's get let's get something going like let's put some pressure on let's let's get to the quarterback and obviously it's easy for us to say that sitting here but it's it's true no for sure and you know and I'll say this the defensive line is going to be really good for the next couple years like they got some dudes in that locker room like they they have a lot of talent they need the reps like I think Deontay Craig is going to be a really, really good player. Lucas Van Ness, I think, is going to be a really good player. Like, they have Max Llewellyn, continue, he needs to continue to get practice reps. I think Max Llewellyn's going to be a really good player as far as defensive line goes. And I think I've said this a couple of times this year, Sean, but I'll, I'll mention it again. Even the best secondaries can only cover for so long. Like, you can't, no matter who it is, like, whether it be Riley Moss, Terry Roberts, Matt Hankins, like anybody in the country, the best corners can only cover for so long. And, you know, and I think you need to add on to this too with Jamari Harris. He was matched up against Danny Davis. I mean, Danny Davis is no scrub receiver. I mean, he's Wisconsin's leading wide receiver. He's made a couple of big plays in his career. Like he's not a bad wide receiver. Is he, you know, Chris Olave, Jahad Dotson, all those guys? No, but for a guy making his first career start, I mean, that's a pretty difficult matchup. So I think you need to take into account that too. It'll be interesting to see if Riley Moss does come back this week. Kirk said he's still week to week. If they don't get him back this week, they're hopeful for next week. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say – I'm going to float this idea out there quickly, Sean, then we'll move on from Riley Moss. He's the ninth-rated corner prospect by – was it Tom McShay or Mel Kuyper? ESPN, one of them. Mel Kuyper. Mel Kuyper. But with the injury, I mean – does he come back for another year or do you think he has to go? I think the injury might make him try to come back, but they also have seen what he can do healthy. Yeah. I, I think the stock is as high as it's going to get for Moss. I do think he could come back and have a really good year, but you know, how many people are going to want 22, 23 year old corner defensive backs? Yeah. yeah. And corners too. I think he can end up being a safety at the next level, but I think he's going to, he's going to have a really big decision to make with, with, you know, the NFL draft. I think there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a decision that has to be made for sure. Uh, second part of the question, different, but does Iowa deserve the offensive line and running game reputation? It is dated in my view at sour milk. I, here's my thing. I think the running game, no. I think the offensive line, yes. Because you just look at the Iowa lineman in the NFL. I mean, the best, one of the best tackles in the NFL played in Iowa uniform two years ago in Tristan Wirfs. Most linemen that come through Iowa at least have a shot at making the next level. So I think the offensive line, absolutely 100%. Running game, Iowa prides itself on, you know, smart, tough, physical football. And they do have some good backs. But, Sean, they're averaging 2.9 yards per carry right now. They took some steps last year. But, again, how much do you really take away from last year with how weird the year was? And I'm not saying it's meaningless. I'm not saying any of that, right? But how much do you take it in normal circumstance? Go back the year before that. Iowa's rushing offense wasn't great either. I mean, it really hasn't been great, great since Akram Wadley, LaShawn Daniels era. And that's five, you know, five years ago. So I think the first three weeks of this season, sure, Tyler Goodson had five touchdowns, but you, you can't have that running game reputation and average 2.9, 2.9 yards per carry. Yeah, people have brought it up on our boards too. Um, we usually have a pretty, pretty smart group of Iowa fans on our board. Um, they brought up some good stats saying, you know, sometimes Goodson will get 29 yards, 27 yards, but then there'll be sometimes where it's like one, like minus two, minus three, like, you know, his, his yards per carry is skewed a lot yeah. at times. And that's like, you can look at the stats, but if you look at the whole body of work, it's just, it's just not working. I don't know what it is. I, I've said before the season, I thought that I was going to miss Makai Sargent immensely, and I don't think anyone would argue with me on that. But Ivory Kelly Martin has shown flashes, but he 
it's just not – like, you can't put a guy out there that's fumbling the football every time – almost every time he gets hit. I'm not saying that, you know, that handoff was all his fault at the one-yard line, but, I mean – you're a fifth year guy. You gotta, you gotta be able to make those plays. And I thought Petrus was at fault for part of it, but it's yeah. been a problem with Ivory Killing Run this year. I thought Gavin Williams showed flashes. I know we've heard good things about LaShawn Williams, but I think what I was missing the most is that complimentary number two back. And that's why I thought Gavin Williams, remember the beginning of the year, Sean, I thought Gavin Williams would be number two just strictly because of the combination of him and Tyler. But, you know, here's my thing. I rewatched, so I rewatched the entire Purdue game today. I mean, not Purdue. I, I the entire Wisconsin game. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Don't rewatch it. Um, I think Spencer. P, there's two people at fault for the fumble at the one yard line. One Spencer Petrus. He did not put the ball where it needed to be. And as a running back, you're trained. The ball is going to hit you right here. Cover it up. Get ready to go. Right. Ivory Kelly Martin said he never touched the ball. Uh, Spencer said that he didn't think he hit him. He didn't really know what happened. He said, but Sean, the other part of that is coaching. I mean, I blame the coaches for putting Ivory Kelly Martin in there because, like you said, he's going to put the football on the ground. If you have a guy, yes, he has the experience. Yes, he's had a couple of big breakout runs. Maybe that's what they were looking for in that situation just for a spark, right? But if you have a guy that's been proning to turn the ball over, why are you throwing him in there at the one-yard line? There's, there's no reason for that, especially when you got Tyler Goodson. Gavin Williams, again, I, I, he's shown some nice things. He's a big, strong guy. Tell him to put two hands over the football, go forward as much as you can, try to get two or three yards to get some space to work with. I don't know why you would throw Ivory Kelly Martin in there, and that's with respect to what he can bring to the table. Uh, I just don't think it was fair to Ivory Kelly Martin to be put in that situation just based on the way the year's been going. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. I think, that's, I think that's a good point. And I guess you talk about the trust that Kirk has in his players, obviously that builds throughout the year, and Kirk has said before that Ivory Kelly Martin is a player that he trusts a lot, a player that he respects a lot because he's kept at it throughout his career. But, yeah, it's just – I don't know. Like, I don't know why you would put him in that situation, especially with the way they struggled. I know, like I said before, you trust him, but I just don't see a scenario where that's going to work out in your favor. Like, maybe you put – I don't – I mean, I think Gavin Williams, I don't think I would put him there either. Sure. But I understand that too. But I think he's a better, you know, you know, ground and pound type guy, like a guy like Braylon Allen or a guy like Chesman or more so Braylon Allen. Obviously, Braylon Allen's in a league of his own when it comes to his size and ability. But he, Gavin Williams, I think could be like that sort of guy for Iowa. Not necessarily the number one back, but the number two back that could give you a nice change of pace and a nice, you know, guaranteed maybe three to four yards every time he touches the ball. You know, not really doing too much, but doing what you can to exhaust the defense and, you know, get those yards that you need that Iowa hasn't been able to get this year. Sure. And to go back to the original question, I mean, I think the offensive line, you can't, there's too much history there. I mean, you're, the offensive line, I mean, you're talking about a guy, look, as bad as Iowa's O-line's been, Sean, Tyler Linderbaum still probably wing national center of the year, Remington trophy. Like that still helps the reputation despite how much the tackle has been struggling. So I think you need to keep that in perspective as well. Uh, has the last two games, specifically the abysmal offensive performance, affected recruiting at all? Uh, Sean, that's more so you. I know you talk to these guys uh, pretty frequently, and I know you've said on our board a couple of times, don't really look too far deep into performances. Uh, but give, give, give me your kind of two cents on that. Yeah, I don't think you want to look too much into – performances obviously you know it's a little concerning for guys like Kyler Casper who I mean we talked about this Dave obviously this is just us talking to each other in the car and you know on the way back from the stadium but you know if you look at this offense if you're a a wide receiver a four-star wide receiver with the options that you have like Iowa I think has some really good receivers coming up but if you look at this you're like are these quarterbacks, is this offensive system going to give me the football? And obviously with Iowa, everything kind of goes back to the run game. Iowa wants to establish itself with the run. And it seems like whenever, if Iowa can't get these run plays going, then the pass game almost seems non-existent. Like they work so coinciding with each other that, you know, you just expect it. So if like one of it's working, 
then it's more often than not the other one's going to work. And we've seen it before in games. I mean, I'm not saying I don't I don't want to say we've seen it too much this year outside of the Maryland game, even against, you know, Kent State. I thought there were some issues. Colorado State, obviously, there was a bit of concern, especially in the second half. But, you know, outside of that Maryland game, I just really you just really haven't seen that consistency with both these with both those, um, you know, the pass and rush. It's been it's been hard to watch at times. And I was capable. Brian Ferentz is capable of calling a good game. Guess who called the USC Holiday Bowl? Brian Ferentz. Guess who called that Maryland game? Brian Ferentz. Guess who's called, you know, a couple of other games that, you know, Guess the Wisconsin who the game, game winning 44 yard touchdown against Penn State. Yeah, Brian Ferentz. Guess who called, you know, games against, obviously, Illinois wasn't pretty in the first half last year, but Brian Ferentz called that game. And then the Wisconsin game last year wasn't pretty in the first half, but I was able to get two big plays that ended up being the difference in that game. He's capable of calling these big games and he's capable of putting stuff together to make it work. Well, you just haven't seen it enough this season. Like, you know, you see it watching other college football games and watching the offense. It's absolutely ridiculous yeah, compared not. to Iowa. It's, I mean, you know, I know, I know I sound cruel, but I mean, it's the truth. Like you just see so much more efficiency, so much cohesiveness. And I think this Iowa offense is capable of it. But, you, you know, it starts up front, too. you got to get that pass protection consistent. If that's yeah. not happening for you, then, like, it almost seems like at times yesterday, Petrus was, like, waiting for a – like, waiting for a Wisconsin defensive lineman or Wisconsin linebacker to tackle because he just knew it was coming. Here's my thing. There's not one group to blame for what's going on. And if people try to make it that simple, you're not watching the game close enough. I will say that, and you know, and this is where I think we're going to we're gonna have discussions on this for weeks to come, Sean, but this is the point that at the end of this season, if Iowa cannot show improvement over the next four weeks. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This is the question they'll have to ask in the room. And I think Kirk will seriously have to think about. I'm with you. Okay. I think Brian, Brian, first of all, Brian knows the game of football. Like if anyone says he doesn't like that dude, as far as X's and O's his knowledge for football, he, 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 he knows it to an elite level, a ridiculously elite level. Like he's smart. But with that being said, it's difference between knowing football and knowing how to call plays. Number one, number two, you mentioned the elite performances that Iowa's had. And, you know, you got, again, like you said, you have to give them all the credit in the world on it. Those are phenomenal game plans. Iowa executed to perfection. But if Iowa's trying to get to that next level, because look, the reality is I think they're out of the Big Ten West right now. It's going to be a very difficult climb. Stuff's going to have to happen, but I think they're out, right? And there's no excuse for Iowa to lose the Big Ten West this year. I mean, the Big Ten West is at an all-time weak point. But where I'm getting at is this is the question that will need to be asked. Do you let me see if I can phrase right? Do you want to keep a guy that has a few elite performances and then has lacklusters, or would you rather have consistently above average? And I think that's the question. Yeah, with Iowa's defense, consistently above average every single time. And and that's where I think they're gonna have to get to. And that's the trade-off. But I'll tell you what, again, those those elite performances, they are elite. But right now we have seen no consistency. And like you said, the oh look, the O-line's a big problem. I think George Barnett, I think you really can't start evaluating him until next year. He came in spring. This is not his group. He's trying to get in the Iowa system. I think that's unfair to the guys in the locker room. I think it's unfair to him. Because I still think Iowa's O-line's got a lot of potential. I mean, you look down the the I know how young they are, and you look at their star. You know, I know people don't look at the stars, but you look at just the raw talent they have. I mean, they have talent. They're going to develop. Iowa on both sides of the line is going to be pretty solid for I think the next few years to come at least. Um, let's get back to these questions though. I know we got plenty more. Uh, should Brian Ferentz return 
as Iowa's offensive line coach and maybe promote someone else to offensive coordinator. They put LeVar Woods. I think you throw Kellen Copeland in that. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see that as a plausible reality. I don't see a scenario where that works out. And I think again, George Barnett's reputation is very good. And I think it'd be foolish to get rid of him. I do. And he's really well liked in the locker room. He's really well liked on the recruiting trail. And again, I really don't think you can start evaluating him until year two. His year two is really his year one, in my opinion. Yeah, I I think he's going to be – I think he's going to be good. And I think you look at this offensive line now, obviously Tyler Linderbaum's Tyler Linderbaum. I thought Kyler's shot was was pretty good on Saturday. Justin Britt obviously struggled in that game. Um, I thought Plum did a good job replacing Nick DeYoung at times, but – you know, you like Plum, Jack Plum has had games where he's been good, but there's been other games where he's just not, he's just not in at that position. Yeah. Mason Richmond, I thought played a better game, but the pass protection still needs some work. I mentioned Britt. Um, Cody Ince was not his usual self. Granted, he's coming off an injury, so that could have played a little bit of a concern. But, you know, that right tackle position, Dave, you mentioned it a couple weeks ago, and I was kind of giving you grief for it. I think there's, you know, it's a little, it's, it's open right now. I think. Yeah. I mean, DeJong played 13 snaps last week. Um, Jack Plum played 44. I believe they were all at that right guard spot too. So I think that kind of tells you where, where things are going right now. I'll tell you what too. And with all due respect to Nick DeJong, I mean, he, he walked on to Iowa. He's earned his spot. He 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 got flat out beat almost every snap he was in. I mean that was that was he, the worst game of his career. Yeah, I think it was. He played four. I think there were four. Um, four. He was no. He was in there for nine pass plays, and he gave up two quarterback pressures, one hurry, and one sack. Britt was in there for. Um, he was in there for. Four pass plays, gave up a sack and a pressure. So that kind of tells you right there. And that right spot, that right side of the, the offensive line too, like remember that Britt and DeYoung, they were in there at that right guard, right tackle spot. Yeah. So that's where a lot of the pressure was coming from. And I think, you know, Wisconsin's defensive line was really good. But, you know, you just cannot have that. And Leo Chanel is absolutely insane, by the way. Yes, he's a very good player. Very good player. Um, no, but no, but but to go back to the question, no. I mean, I, I don't see that as a plausible scenario. And you know, Sean, somebody mentioned this to me last week, I think, and I kind of brushed it off. And I, well, you know what? I'll, I'll say that we'll, we'll get down to that down that road in the next few weeks. There'll be an off season topic. Um, but. What will Iowa's record be over the next four games? I think that's the big question for me right now, Sean. Uh, without a doubt, these next four games are absolutely winnable. They're losable. I'll say this, man. If they if they lose the Northwestern, everything is going to break loose because that yeah. Northwestern team is absolutely pitiful. It is horrible. Yeah. So you look at Northwestern. I've thought about it. I'll give you a second thing, but I've I've Iowa beating Northwestern. I have Iowa beating. I have Iowa beating Minnesota. I have Iowa beating Illinois because Iowa and Illinois, Iowa just finds a way to put it together. And Illinois, with you know, great respect to them for beating Penn State. They have nobody. They they cannot throw the football at all. At and you think Wisconsin's passing offense bad? They can't throw the football. This is where I'm gonna get some crap. I think I think Nebraska beats Iowa and Lincoln. And I know people want to laugh off Nebraska. They've but look, every game they've lost, it's been mostly one possession. Their defense is looking actually pretty dang good this year. And Adrian Martinez, if he's healthy, that his running style could absolutely give Iowa problems, especially with no pressure from the defensive line. I'm not ready to say Iowa will beat Nebraska because I, I will believe it if Nebraska wins one of these close games to close out the season. I know that they bodied Northwestern a couple of weeks ago. But, 
you know, once they get a signature win over a team, I can't remember at the top of my head who they play to close out the season. I think they, they Ohio play State this weekend, and then they got Wisconsin, and then they got Iowa. They won't win against Ohio State. I don't think they beat Wisconsin. Maybe they keep the Wisconsin game close. I don't know. But, I mean, they're going to come. They're going to come ready for that game against Iowa. That's for sure. I'm not ready to say that Iowa will lose to Nebraska yet. But I think they could lose to Minnesota, but I don't want to put money on that. I think there's still a very legitimate shot for Iowa to finish 10 and 2, but I think it's more likely that they finish 9 and 3. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. And by the way, I'm not saying Nebraska will beat Iowa. I think they, like you said, I think they have a very big possibility. And you know, we got to think about from this aspect too, Sean. Scott Frost might be fighting for, I mean, his, his, his seat right now is as hot as anybody in the country. I mean, because right now they're going to miss a bowl game. There's no way they beat Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. And they need that just to make a bowl game. They're not going to beat them. Um, no, I got I got Iowa going 3-1 down the stretch. Uh, we all saw Alex Padilla move on the pocket. How long do we stick with Petrus if the offense looks this inept? I, I knew this question Petrus. was coming. Sean, I'll, I'll let you take it first. Petrus is the guy. I I'm not ready to say that. He's going to give anything up. I mean, he's – I thought Padilla looked fine. You know, obviously he got sacked twice in limited snaps, but, I mean, he showed mobility. He had that one play. I forget who who caught that pass on the sideline. Was it Laporta? Yeah. Like 27 yards or something like that. It was a great play. I mean, it was. It was a really good play. And people are going to run with that and say, well, that's, that's the longest play. Like, that's longer than any play Petrus has had this year, like, outside of the Charlie Jones touchdown, a couple other touched Keegan Johnson receptions. And I'm sure we'll talk about Keegan Johnson, but he had 40, he had the most snaps of the receivers. That was the one adjustment that they did really make that I noticed too. Yeah. And he had two, he did have two drops though. He was targeted six times and only caught it only had two receptions. So, I mean, I think Wisconsin did a really good job of staying on him, but you know, those two drops are, (laughs) those are notable. Those are notable for sure. But Going back to the Padilla thing, I, I really don't see a case for Petrus unless he absolutely is abysmal the next couple of weeks. I don't see a reason to take him out because, you know, he's the guy. I think he's the guy and he's the guy they're most comfortable with. I think Padilla could get there in due time, but, you know, I'm not. I think Petrus is the one, the one that Iowa is going to ride with. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. It, it is. Uh, it's funny, like you said, stat broadcast is so messed up. It says there's 13 drops. I'm like, there's 10 incompletions. Well, I guess, well, I guess from from uh from from Alex Padilla too, but no, like a quarterback change is not gonna fix the offensive line. And that's the easiest way I can phrase it. Spencer Petrus is the guy, he's still respected by his teammates. When he's given a clean pocket, he makes good things happen. I don't think Again, everybody's to blame. Spencer Petrus is still at fault for some of the decisions he makes. Sam Laporte has had drops. Tyler Goodson had, had a drop. Tyrone Tracy's had drops. Keegan Johnson's had drops. Iowa's offensive line can't protect him for one two seconds. Like it's an it's an all around problem right now. So I don't think you throw him in. Like I don't think you throw in Alex Padilla. I think it would have been stupid to throw him in against Wisconsin if Spencer Petrus hadn't been injured. And by the way, he's fine. But I, I tweeted this out, Sean. I'm like, you want to make a quarterback change? You want to throw in a guy for his first significant action against the number one or like number two defense in the country in a blowout game? That's asking to absolutely shred any sort of confidence he has. And what people need to remember, Sean, he was one for eight passing going into the game. It's not like he'd been laying it up in garbage time either. Like there's there's nothing proven. Yeah. So that, I know people just want to see a change of change of pace or just a change yeah. of scenery, but you know, I, I don't know how greener the grass is on the other side. I think they just want to see that Kirk Ferentz has a willingness to actually try something that's when it's not working, when something isn't working. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. That's uh, fair. Yeah. Does the coaching staff stay what went wrong in the previous season losses and also stay what is going wrong with uh, losing to Purdue constantly Northwestern and Wisconsin? I mean, the answer is yeah, but 
you also got to dive deeper into that. Do they have the same coordinators? Is the personnel the same? Are they running the same scheme? How many players are from past teams and whatnot? But I, I, in general, yes, they do look at last year's tape. But like if somebody makes a defensive coordinator change, they'll watch the games from that season, but then they'll go back and watch like the previous coordinators defense or, or offense just to try to get a, a gist of what they'll try to do against Iowa. Yeah, you you hit you answered it. There we go. The next one. Uh do let's see. Do we consider Padilla not necessarily because he's better, but he offers different strengths that is perhaps better tailored to this offense. And he's probably more accurate with his short his timing, short passing, can play more spread sets and can improvise a little. Again, the skill set we understand because that's what's been scouted and there's been flashes of it, but there's nothing tangible that we have seen that can make us accurately assess that. I think that's the biggest thing that I can say. Right. And if you use two quarterbacks and you really don't have a true quarter, a true one quarterback. Yep. I think Iowa does. Yeah. I'm in that same boat, but again, it goes back to what I just said earlier. It it makes sense from the standpoint. If you want to see a change and can try different things. I mean, I I get it, but you also got to pick your spots of when you want to be able to do that in games. Like I think Padilla getting a shot after Petrus went down hard with the, after he took a hard hit the shoulder, I think that was a perfect time to try to get him some action just to see like, okay, can you go lead a touchdown drive? Can you take advantage of the opportunities? So I think that was a good move um, from that standpoint. But I will say, and I think you said this too, Sean, Iowa getting dual threat quarterback, they, they not even a dual threat, but a guy with mobility and with size that can run a pro style offense. That's exactly what they need. Yeah. Brad Banks wasn't a big, strong pocket passer. He could improvise. And the last time but he's real, Iowa's real last dual threat runner up for the Heisman CJ Beathard was not a dual threat, but he could escape the pocket. He can make these rollout passes. Ricky stands. He could do the same thing. I think that's what people want. And, you know, I think Petrus has a, a big arm, but I think people are just frustrated that, you know, Sean, right when the pocket collapses, like you're not trusting Petrus to get out of there. Like he, you and I both looked at each other when the pocket collapses, right? The play is dead. Right. Yeah. That's just how, that's just how it is. And, you know, that's, I think Petrus is a really good arm. I think he's got a really good ability, but you know, his, his feet aren't one of them. Uh, is Iowa aware enough to bring in some offensive guru in the off season to modernize the offense? You know, Sean, I'll let you take it. I, I don't think they're going to bring in anybody. I think they might consult some people, but I mean, the reality of it is Iowa has to change. They can keep the foundation but they're going to win seven or eight games at most. And that's assuming they have an elite defense and great special teams if they keep the offense the way it is. It's 123rd in the country right now. And this team was ranked number two at one point in this season. Yeah, maybe we just – obviously the offensive line has not done it. Any any issues or any – what's the word I'm looking for? Favors. Has not, yeah, any favors, thank you. But, you know, maybe – I don't want to say this, but maybe we hyped up the wide receivers a little too much before the year. We've seen that they have ability. We know what Keegan Johnson can do. We know what Charlie Jones can do at times. We know what Tyrone Tracy can do at times. But, you know, if Tyrone Tracy's only being targeted one time in a game, you know, what <laughs> What can you really do? If you would have told me that in July, August, I would have said, holy crap, is this Iowa offense, what is the problem with it? What is the issue with it? Because, you know, we were expecting him to get like freaking six or seven receptions a game. Like, I, I think I was expecting I, him to be an all, like a, a honorable mention for all Big Ten. Yeah, I think I had the over under. Someone's, I set the spread at 700 and I took the over. And does he have over 100 yards yet? I don't think so. No, I think he might have like 99 or something like that. I'll, I'll look that up quick, but no, I mean, Again, though, I, I, I'll i disagree with you from this standpoint. He's got 89. Uh, 89. I'll, I'll disagree with you from this standpoint. I don't think we've hyped up the wider – I don't think we overhyped the wide receivers. I think skill-wise and talent-wise, it's there. I think it's how they're being utilized right now, and I think it's a result of, you know, Spencer not getting clean pockets, the offensive line really not working. Iowa not utilizing the play action. I will say the one big problem I think that we may have overhyped and people may have overhyped, they can't break away one-on-one coverage. Like, if they don't get a good release, like, they're not breaking away. I think Keegan, when he's gotten his big plays, 
he's done some nice things. Like Tyrone, he's gotten open a couple of times. But I'd also argue this. Spencer almost has to lock on to one target because he doesn't have time to scan the rest of the field. So if he doesn't lock on you immediately, he's not going to be able to find you. And I think that's been an issue as well. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely what I was going to bring up too. You know, it comes down to pass protection. If you're not, or you know, just offensive line in general. If your if your offensive line isn't working, then the offense doesn't work. It all starts up there. You know, um, a couple of fans I know, I think it was Max Lowellen's dad, put out a tweet that said the offensive lineman's got to be the toughest position to play in sports because if the offense sucks, it gets a lot of the blame. So does the quarterback. But when the offense is good, the skilled players get a lot of the attention. The quarterback gets a lot of the attention. And the yeah. offensive line is just there in the background. It's so true. Like, that is such a true quote. But, I mean, it, it applies at times, you know? It does. No, that's a really that's a really good tweet. I wasn't going to read this, but I'm going to because I have a good – I mean, it's an it's a obvious response. He goes, like, does Kirk, does Kirk Ferentz allow Brian Ferentz and his family over at Thanksgiving? Well, they're going to be in Lincoln, Nebraska – because they play on Black Friday. So, yes, the answer is yes. Uh, let's see. Do you think that the team is off balance on the offensive side of the ball because they keep changing the offensive line in and out of every game? They need to pick the best five now and go with it. Sean, I, I think you'll agree with me on this. I, I don't think they know who their best five is. I think that's why they keep changing. And obviously, offensive linemen, they typically rotate either way. They usually rotate you know, six or seven, most teams, Iowa doesn't know who their best five is right now. I don't think. And I think that was an indicator of putting Jack Plum in there at that right tackle spot on Saturday instead of Nick DeYoung. I mean, yep. maybe DeYoung was dealing with something injury wise. I don't know that for sure, but based on reading the tea leaves, I think putting Plum at that spot kind of tell you what you need to know about, you know, the uncertainty with this offensive line, especially on that right side. And I think something I was hoping to see when Iowa came out of the bye week was they solidified that down. And, you know, I think, again, I think Cody Ince would be in that category, but he's been, you know, slowed by a lingering injury over the past couple of weeks. Uh, so that's been a factor as well. So I, I don't think that's an issue. I, I understand the thought process of it, but the reality is right now, I don't think fresh legs or consistency are a problem. I think it's just, in-game reps and skill right now. I just think they need to continue to get beat to get better. And while that sucks for this season for Iowa, I think it'll pay dividends down the road. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to extend this question about the offensive linemen, based on the pro football focus scores, it appears the best five run blockers are not the same as past best pass best five pass blockers i can't i can't read uh is that causing the coaches to debate on which is the best five uh sean i'll let you take it. i mean i mean maybe it's just sort of yeah. match though every guy's got their strengths i mean it could and obviously the coaches maybe look at pro football focus but also they they seem yeah. to have a much more you know firm grasp of where things are at than we do and where the metrics are but you know i mean hey i think i think that's that's a good point. I think that's valid because you don't want to be bringing in a different offensive line every time you run the football. Because one, you know, you'll you'll tire guys out running up and down the sidelines. Two, you know, that cohesiveness doesn't really work. And three, you'll the other team will know when you're running the football if they're <laughs> yeah, exactly. if they're smart. If they're smart, they'll be able to pick up on that. Yeah. So I I mean I think that's definitely valid. I I think it also comes down to consistency because you some games you have guys that are playing really well. In some games, you have guys that are not, you know, those guys that were playing good last week, not playing well this week, while the other guys, you know, and vice versa. And obviously, that's just sports. That happens at every level. But, it, I mean, it comes down to consistency, honestly. That's that's what it comes down to. And, you know, there hasn't been there hasn't been enough of that. Even Tyler Linderbaum has had a, one or two, like, not Tyler Linderbaum-type games. But he's been the most consistent. And, you know, other spots has not been, has not been there. 
it's funny though. We talk about not Tyler Linderbaum games, but even Tyler Linderbaum's quote off games or some guy's career best games. Like that, that's just how much of a freak yeah. he is. Uh, uh, how about Iowa running more of a shotgun and wildcat shotgun seems to speed things up at least for about a second. It gives Petrus that much longer to be set in the pocket. The wildcats a very intriguing storyline to me, Sean, because it feels like we've talked about this every week and Iowa has not brought it back at all. And I think they have enough of a variety of guys that they could actually do something with it. So I'm very curious about where that's sort of at. When we've asked Kirk and Brian, they both talked about how it is still in the system. They still practice it, but they haven't utilized it. And I don't mind the shotgun look as well. I know Iowa likes to run that pro-style offense, limit the shotgun. Now, obviously, it's not an RPO type of team. But I remember there was a couple of plays against Wisconsin, Sean, where Petrus was still dropping back, and he already had two guys in his face. And I looked at you, and I said, that play was dead before it started because Petrus was still doing his three-step drops. So I think, you know, a shotgun, maybe more of that here and there, I think that could be a potential solution. I mean, remember – Iowa opened up the game with an empty backfield and went five wide. And I think it was an incomplete pass, but a, a couple of receivers got open. I, I thought it was a good look by, by Brian and by Kirk to go with that right out of the gate. I thought that first play resulted in a sack. I needed – let me double check that. I like the look of it, though. I did, and we kind of we kind of got up on the edge of our seat a little bit when we saw that. I know yeah. us in the press box – we were kind of like, oh, man, like, could this be – could this be something? You know what? It was but, Nick Sanborn because he did have that linebacker blitz in there. He was sacked. That, that's right. That, that, that was. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I did like the look of it, though. Oh, I did, too. I thought it was really fascinating. Like I said before, everyone got a little excited in the press box. You know, very – really intrigued to see what could have happened. But, you know, just didn't, just didn't end up working out. Uh, let's see here. How many more questions do we have? Yeah, I think about two more, and then we'll call it. Uh, let's see. So, it's more about the offensive line. That's, who would actually move in or settle on five offensive linemen? How much of a decision is that for position coach Brian and Kirk? Uh, the reality is it's going to be all three of them, uh, but obviously Kirk has the final say. I think George consults with Brian. They make a decision, and then that goes to Kirk, and then Kirk ultimately can do what he wants. Uh, but I think Kirk has a trust in his staff that he's going to take whatever the position coaches and Brian wanted to go do. Yep. Uh, let's see. So the position coaches have the same control. How much is offensive defense coordinator and head coach play into factors? How much and when, you know, the reality of it is too, is like, that's not going to be in game decisions. That's going to be, they have their, their coaches meetings throughout the week. That's when they sort of scheme up the game plan. That's when they really make those decisions. But obviously if something's working in a game, they're going to bump some guys out and they'll make the in-game adjustments. So position coaches each come up with their own game plan. They talk about the offense coordinators, coordinators get together, and then Kirk gets brought in and then everybody talks about his group. But again, ultimately Kirk's the CEO. It's, it's completely up to Kirk Ferentz about it. So yep, you got, you got it again. Uh, so I think that's going to about wrap it up. Obviously Sean, it was a very offensive heavy podcast. Uh, we'll be back this week, talk more about the Northwestern game, but you know, I think I think Iowa fans are frustrated, and I think rightfully so. I think there's a lot of things that need to be fixed, especially the offense. And, you know, I thought in years past, the line's been the one driving the offense and the skill position has been holding them back. I actually think it's a flip side. I think Tyler Goodson's a really good running back. He was first-team All-Big Ten last year. They got good wide receivers. I think Spencer Petrus, if he can be kept clean and maybe can be schemed a little bit better and play called a little bit better, I think he can be a, a good quarterback and a consistent quarterback. But the reality is there's everybody's at fault right now, and there's a lot of issues. And I know people want to see week-by-week improvement, but, Sean, the reality is nothing's going to change till the offseason. That's when the things are going to be made. Like, decisions will actually have to be made. Yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe there will be a game or two where things start to turn and the momentum goes in that direction, but in a positive direction like it did in the Holiday Bowl in 2019. But, you know, at this point, you hope it's not too little too late. And – you know, Iowa still has a chance in the Big Ten West. It's a smaller chance, but there's still a chance. And, you know, a lot of people are kind of on their last life with this. But, you know, if Iowa can get something going, then that, that could definitely turn the momentum of the program around. Because, you know, obviously Iowa had its issues the first in their first six wins. There was, you know, things that 
weren't exposed that have been exposed in these last two losses. And, you know, it's, it's about fixing them. You thought, you thought it would happen during the bye week, but we haven't, didn't see it against Wisconsin. Obviously Wisconsin is known for having Iowa's number, especially Jim Leonard, defensive coordinator. Um, but I was had, I was had success against the four programs that they're facing to close the year in recent years outside of Northwestern, obviously here and there, but you know, this, it's a real chance to make something happen. And, you know, there's still a chance, there's still reason to be optimistic, but, you know, until we see that, I guess you really can't say, I guess I really can't make people be optimistic. Yeah. It's like, you can't, you can't put a, a lipstick on a pig and call it pretty. That's what my, that's what my dad always used to say. So the, the last thing I'll say, and I'll close it out, Sean, is that, let me see, I want to phrase this. There's, there's schematic changes that they'll, I think that they'll still need to make this year. I still think they need to show that they're making an effort in the season. Well, I guess I think after the season, that's when really everything's going to be in retrospect. And, you know, the reality too is right now, I know, look, Kirk, Kirk's not going to fire his son. And I'm not even calling for Brian's job because again, there's been the elite performances, but in your fourth year of being an offensive coordinator, 123rd ranked offense, second lowest in power five, only behind Colorado. There has to be questions that need to be answered and it has, they have to come soon. And the other part too, is during Iowa's first six wins, like you said, they knew Iowa people knew, and people knew that Iowa had issues. People knew about the offense, but they become that much more magnified when the defense and special teams aren't what they have been. I think that's been a big thing. So now people are like, Oh my God, like we knew it was bad we did not know was this bad. And I think that's what the realization that people are coming to right now. Yep. Yep. So. Most definitely. So be sure to follow Sean Bach and I on Twitter at sbach 247 at David Eichel at Hawkeyes on 247 and be sure to make Hawkeye Insider your home for everything. Iowa Hawkeyes football, basketball, recruiting. Give you a very busy week. The Iowa men's hoops team is back in action. The women's hoops team is back in action. Iowa takes on Northwestern on Saturday. We'll be back to give you previews to Iowa Northwestern and much, much more at HawkeyeInsider.com. So until then, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.